Brickhouse in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, a progressive talks about her blind date with a Trump supporter. Plus, a phone call with the chairman of the Brooklyn Reform Party. They're fielding a candidate to oppose our state senate's kingmaker. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm Ashley Ford, joined in the studio by producer Ross Tuttle. Hello, Ross. Hello, Ashley. What's going on today, Ross? Interesting bit of news this morning. So... You've heard of the Guardian Angels, right? I have heard of the Guardian Angels. Well, we were just having a little discussion here in the studio. I was going to call them a vigilante organization. Antonio, our studio manager and DP, said, well, they weren't quite a vigilante organization, so we, we can debate that. But an organization that was founded to kind of augment the police in the 70s, founded in Brooklyn, 24-year-old high school dropout, uh, Curtis Sliwa, and they patrolled the streets. I think they started on the four train, which was nicknamed like the Muggers Express. The um, Muggers Express. Since the city has become safer, they haven't really been in the news that much, although Curtis Lewa has been involved in local politics. He's got a show on New York One. But they are working with the Brooklyn Reform Party, which they've been involved with, mm -hmm. to field a candidate to oppose Simcha Felder. Right. Remember Simcha Felder. Simcha Felder being the person who consistently caucuses with Republicans. In the state Senate, in correct. The state Senate, yes. And giving them the majority since the IDC, the Independent Democrat Conference, decided to disband and go back and caucus with the Democrats. Simcha Felder is the lone holdout, a nominal Democrat, still right. caucusing with the Republicans, giving them the legislative majority and uh, you know, a stumbling block, a lot of people say, to progressive legislation. So mm -hmm. it's interesting, though, that the Reform Party is now fielding a candidate named Luis Rivera to challenge him. And so to tell us about this, we have the chairman of the Brooklyn Reform Party on the phone. Bob, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Great. So I just wanted, you know, I wanted to ask, so Democrats aren't happy with Simca Felder for a lot of obvious reasons, but you're, you're a conservative. You've run on the Republican Party line for city council yourself. Felder gives Republicans a majority in the Senate. I'm curious, why are you interested in replacing him? Well, first of all, I am no longer a Republican. I switched parties to a Reform Party last year, hmm. and now I'm the chairman of the Brooklyn Reform Party. Uh, Curtis Cleaver is now is the state chairman of the Reform Party. And, you know, we simply believe that no candidate for public office should go unimposed. Simka Felder was expecting a coronation during our interview process where we did interview him for our line. He admitted he wanted every line that he can get. He wanted to go unopposed. And to us in the Brooklyn Reform Party, that's not democracy. Uh, there should always be opposition. And we were the only ones to step up and field a candidate, while all the other parties just basically rolled over for the power of Simca to, to let him uh, get a free ride. And wow. we don't think uh, that's right, and the voters of the Senate District of Borough Park and Midwood deserve a choice, and that's exactly what we're giving them with Louis Rivera. Now, Bob, who is Louis Rivera? Has he run for public office before? He has not. He is a true independent, very little political experience, uh, when I say true independent, I, I mean that he is not registered in any political party. He is a registered independent or, as the Board of Elections like to majority refer to them, as a blank. He's a lifelong resident of Midwood, attended Midwood High School. He lives on Ocean Avenue for the past 30-plus years, four children, member of the Guardian Angels uh, since 1982. And he just doesn't believe any elected official 
should get a free ride as well. Hmm. Is he is he an active guardian angel? Uh, yes, he is. He's he's nineteen eighty two. He's constantly wow. on those subways uh, with Curtis and, and members of the guardian angels uh, doing what they can to keep our, our city safe and secure. Talk to me a little bit about the symbolism of having a guardian angel in state government. I think there is nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's especially here in New York City where we see the quality of life is going down again, especially on subways. Mm-hmm. I think the guardian angel, uh, like Louis Rivera, would be a powerful message that, hey, we're still out there trying to keep our streets safe from what I think and what we think is the damage that Mayor de Blasio is doing. But again, more importantly, it's not about Lewis as a guardian angel, but him as a, an opponent to a state senator who believes, quite frankly, that he should have no competition. And Lewis Rivera is someone who believes that we should stand up for educational standards for all students, including those in yeshivas. Someone who believes that we do need term limits for all state elected officials, that we need initiative and a referendum in New York State so voters can have a true voice in policies, and also that we need nonpartisan elections. So those are basic our platforms of, of Lewis Rivera. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, you guys were also trying to recruit Preet Bharara to run for state attorney general. Is that true? We, we did attempt to do that. He declined. He was not interested, so we thought he would have been a perfect choice for state attorney general, but he he wasn't interested. We did all we could. Mm -hmm. I see. And I wonder, because you say you're not a Republican anymore, so I don't know if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, but they have a notoriously, I guess, prickly relationship ever since Donald Trump had Preet Bharara fired. So I didn't know if there was any sort of tension there with that possibility. Well, it never came to fruition, so we we never got to that uh, point. Right. Okay. Bob, thank you so much for coming on and for having this conversation with us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me, and we look forward to having a spirited race in that Senate district. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Coming up, a date with a Trump supporter, a conversation about a conversation that went deeper than you might imagine. safe to say that most of us were surprised by the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. A lot of us were hurt by it, too. The fact that the country, or should I say the Electoral College, could choose as its leader a bigot and a bully, someone who would vilify entire races of people, pit Americans against each other, promote violence against women, was a rude awakening. How could anyone support someone like this, whose only care seemed to be the elevation of his own brand and bank account? offshore otherwise. Our next guest wanted to find out, but her inquiry took a novel turn when she decided to conduct it in Brooklyn's smallest, most intimate bar. I'll let her explain. She's a freelance journalist, Mackenzie Fagan. Welcome to 112BK. Thanks so much. Good to be here. So why did you decide to do this? So I'd heard about this opening of Brooklyn's smallest bar, which is truly intimate. It's big enough for three people, including the bartender. Right. And the owner and bartender always says, make sure that you bring someone whose company you really enjoy, because mm-hmm. the bench is about 
yay, yay wide. Right. Um, and so I said, well, what if I actually brought somebody whose company uh, I was apt to not enjoy very much? Mm -hmm. And so I pitched a piece where I would bring a conservative on a first date to this bar, uh, mm -hmm. which featured a, a long cocktail tasting menu, plenty of time to get to know someone. And then I went on a hunt to find this said conservative, which proved more challenging than I had thought in Brooklyn. Right. I mean, I can understand how it would. And what's the name of the bar? It's called the Threesome Toll Booth, and it's in Bushwick. Yes, the yes. Threesome Toll Booth. I've actually heard of this before. So how did you go about it, from pitching the story to, to be perfectly honest, just finding the person? Like, how did you go about that? That's what's really interesting. That was definitely the most challenging part. So first I reached out to my network and came up totally empty. Yeah. Nobody knew anyone who voted for Trump in New York or people who were from more conservative states. They were like, I moved to New York to get away from family and friends who voted for Trump. Um, so I did what any normal person does and goes on Tinder. And I created a Tinder profile targeting individuals who leaned right of center. And I was very open about it. I didn't catfish. I was like, I'm writing a piece. I'm looking for somebody who considers themselves uh, right of center. So if you think that maybe this whole Me Too moment has gone a little too far, or if you think that Trump has some good points, super like me, so right. I can try and find you. And then I just started swiping on clean-cut looking white guys, to yeah. be honest. And I was pretty shocked at how many matches I got. And then there was like a two-week period where I was engaging in conversation with all of these people, most of whom were slightly right of center, conservative-leaning, right. but would disavow Trump. And then finally I found the person who I thought would be the guy, and he was a RISD grad, had previously been a progressive, but had disavowed his progressive values mm -hmm. to become a raging libertarian, and he was a full-throated Trump supporter. Yeah. Felt really important to me to find someone who felt like he could be part of my extended social circle. I thought nobody's going to want to read a piece where I, you know... Sit down with, like, somebody who took the train up here from central Pennsylvania. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants right. to read that piece. <laughs> yeah, nobody would just... Right. So yeah. it's like, if I can find someone who's maybe, like, one or two concentric circles away from me, right. you know, for my own curiosity, too, it's like, well, how could somebody who shares a lot of things in common with me vote so very differently? And this guy seemed right. like he check those boxes. Mm -hmm. However, he turned out to be sober. And I was like, mm, you're not gonna work. And he was like, well, I'll go to my network. Mm -hmm. And there's like an underground network of young Republicans in New York, many of them living among us, closeted. Oh, <laughs> and he managed to find a sacrificial lamb who's willing to go on a date with me. And that is the person I ended up writing about. That is interesting. Tell me a little bit about you and why it would be so interesting. Because, you know, when you're pitching a story like this, it's not just like, you know, going on the date with the person. It also has to be quite a bit about you. And the piece is quite a bit about you. Yeah, it was incredibly personal. I live in a bubble. Mm -hmm. I live in Brooklyn. I'm from San Francisco. My brother's a libertarian, but even he didn't vote for Trump. He voted third party. Mm -hmm. So I've never really had to engage in my personal life with someone in a way where I am trying to see their humanity as a Trump supporter. And to me, the election was incredibly personal, as right. you know, for many of us. I'm a mm -hmm. queer woman of color. I'm the daughter of an immigrant. Right. And I just couldn't understand how people heard the things that he was saying about me. Right. about my communities and still managed to vote for him. Right. So I was not one of the progressives who was like, let's go on a listening tour and see how we ended up here. Right. I was like, 
I'm all set. Like, yeah. I know now <laughs> how people feel about me. Right. You know, they heard what he said and they still put their own interests before me. So, like, I'm all, I'm all right. set. So, yeah, it was an incredibly personal experience sitting in a glorified broom closet with right. somebody. I and went what was his nickname again? Stephen Freedom and Liberty Full MAGA Agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, the thing that I always have a hard time with and that I still have a hard time with, I mean, even going through the piece, I had a hard time and kept wondering, at what point does he acknowledge his part in white supremacy, mm -hmm. <laughs> in mm -hmm. systemic oppression? Like, because to me, if you want full freedom, that also means you are responsible for what you do and also what you don't do. So, I mean, like, does he show up to protest? Does he do things like that? Does, you know, when there are these egregious injustices, does he stand up for those? Right, I mean, it's a good question. And the first step that I had to take was actually establishing if he was a white supremacist, which, mm -hmm only occurred maybe a third of the way through the date and was kind of a horrifying moment for me where, right. you know, we were talking about, you know, issues like race and mm -hmm. gender inequality and all of that. And I had to pause and be like, oh, wait, like, I forgot to ask if you actually believe that racism is a bad thing. I forgot right. to ask if you think that the white race should actually be in a position of power. Right. Because that's not a Given. It's not a given. It's not a given, right? Yeah, no, not anymore. <laughs> you and, may have one time <laughs> thought it was a given. Right, especially uh, but like... we don't have that delusion to share anymore. Right, like yeah. there there once was a, a beautiful halcyon moment when we could be at a bar in Bushwick and not have right. to ask, like, oh, sorry, are you, are you a white supremacist? And yet here we are. I could see him be a little taken aback by that question and a little bit offended that I would ask that. And then I sort of immediately reacted yeah. and got defensive, too, and had to be like, that's yeah. not a crazy question, right? Right. So talk to me more about him and who he was. Like, right. Who did you actually go on the date with? Who right. showed up? <laughs> okay. So he's in his early 30s. Mm -hmm. He's white. He's the oldest of three brothers. Mm -hmm. I assume his family is white as well. He's from Florida. And if you saw him on the street in Brooklyn, you would not peg him as a Trump supporter, unless he's wearing his hat. <laughs> he right. does have one. You know, full-sleeved hats. Mm -hmm. He was a chef, cooked at many of the restaurants in New York where I like to eat. Right. And, you know, lives in Williamsburg and goes to dive bars there. And his pathway to conservatism is quite interesting because we have a lot of similar threads. Like, mm -hmm. he came up in the punk rock scene in his community, as did I in California. And seeing that divergent moment where he took a hard right and embraced libertarian values um, was really was really shocking because we had a lot of things in common. Right. And how did he end up being able to vote for somebody who whose policies are going to negatively impact me and my communities so drastically? Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is sort of the interesting thing there, right? It's like, at what point do you decide, I mean, I have my own theories, but at what point do you decide that, like, I'm sorry, that doesn't matter to me, and only this does? Right. and Which I, is how it seems. And I don't know if I'm getting that correct. Like, I might not be getting that right. Like, he might say, that's not how I feel at all. 
And I don't think, I think that he would say that's not how I feel at all because mm -hmm. he does talk about, you know, wanting to be part of the fight for racial equity and gender parity and all of that. And, you know, a moment when I really was able to get him to agree with me was when we were talking about equal employment. Right. And I was saying, you know, you can be fired for being LGBT in many states. I believe it's like 30 states. Right. And then he said, yeah, but when's the last time that happened? And, and I was like, like super it, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, super recently. <laughs> and that's, I think, what a lot of people, when they hear people um, who voted for Trump talk about these things, what they worry about is, okay, like, you're saying this and you're standing up for this, but do you stand up in the other direction? And the answer, almost 99%, I have never heard whenever you hear about somebody stopping a shooting, whenever you hear about somebody stepping in when someone's being harassed, I have never once heard of that person turning out to be somebody who was a conservative or who supported Trump. And maybe I'm wrong. But it makes me wonder, like, where's mm. that balance? Mm. I would like to believe that he would surprise me mm -hmm. and surprise you. I would like to believe that the larger problem is that he's a cis straight white man mm. from a white family. And, you know, he didn't know that there have been discrimination cases based on, on somebody's sexual orientation or gender very recently. Mm -hmm. I would like to believe that, I mean, once he knew that, he was like, well, that's not right. That shouldn't right. be. And the moments when I saw him waver, where when I was able to make a connection with him, you know, as a woman or as a queer person and say, hey, I, I understand these principles, these lofty, well-thought-through principles that have informed the way that you think. But here's a moment in my life when I faced discrimination because right. of my identity. And those were moments when I saw a little bit of tension because it's not something that he can experience in his own body. Right. And I don't think he's like, we're all racist, right? right. But like, I don't think that he thinks that racism is a good thing or that you know women should be subservient to men. I just think that he actually doesn't have anyone close to him necessarily who has experienced those things. Mm. And, and I kind of think that's why like, we've seen more movement on LGBT issues, for example, than we have on racial issues because conservatives end up having gay grandkids. Right. Like, they don't have that many black grandkids. Yeah. And so when you mm. have somebody in your family and these issues affect you directly, all of a sudden you're like, boom. You get a different perspective, yeah. yeah. Because so often the focus is on empathy, which is about more what we can feel, instead of decency, which is more about what we do no matter what we feel. That's right. So you wrote about this animated <laughs> decision to vote Trump. All of this, this, oh my gosh, this piece was just, as I was reading it, girl, like I felt like I was sweating. Like, I was just like, how is this going to go? Like, what's going to happen? I was worried for you, not in a way that was like, physical, but I was definitely worried for your emotional state. And you wrote this so beautifully, I want you to read a couple of these passages out loud. So I think you have one of them there, you have two of them there. Can we just start with the first one? Sure, yeah, thank you. No problem. The problem is, I tell him, as I move through this world in a queer, non-white female body, others often see me as a member of a group before they know anything about me, the person. Before they know that I'm an excellent baker and a shitty swimmer, perhaps they see someone they would like to bed or someone who is going to hell. What a luxury to be in the majority, to be a straight, white, cis dude who can walk into a room and have an interviewer think, huh, I wonder what this individual is all about. 
How to explain all this to someone who will never, ever be able to know my lived experience? I try. While it's aspirational and worthy to think about what this world looks like when we're all judged on our own merits, it's not our reality. I feel solidarity with other women and other people of color and other queer people because those are the categories into which I've been put. Mm -hmm. And this was, he believed so strongly in this Randian concept of, you know, living in a meritocracy and everybody should be judged based on their own merits as an individual and there's just very little understanding that that is not the reality that a lot of us live in. Yes. I don't know that reality. Right. You know, it's very interesting because I often feel like, of course, the people who the world is made for identify as people who don't want the world to change very much. And I kind of wish they'd just embrace that. Like, I understand. Yeah, Yeah, it's one of those things. I like that you said that because it's so often that's how I feel. It's like if you could just be honest about what you really feel, then you can decide whether or not it's justified or not. But if you can't even get to the point where you can be honest with yourself about what you believe and what you feel is true, you know, like the problem, in my opinion, when people talk about, because I know one of the things he talked about in the article was uh, PC culture and feeling held back by PC culture. And that always uh, confuses me because I never thought of political correctness, even the way it sounds, already sounds so severe in a way that it isn't. But I thought political correctness was about updating your language. Like it was just about saying what you meant. If I meant to call people something because I thought that's what they were called, and then I find out that that's not accurate and that's not actually what they would call themselves, how does it harm me to call them this new thing that like means that is more accurate to who they are. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to say things that are less accurate? Like it's not about feelings. It's about the fact that I like being right. <laughs> to be perfectly, you know, like right. I like being right. right. I don't want to say the wrong thing because I don't want to be wrong. Not because I want to be thought of as a nice person. And I, like, why is that? Like, these definitions, so often I feel like the problem in the languages and the conversations that we have with people who believe things that are ideologically opposed to what we believe is more about language than reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that he would conflate this with a free speech issue, Mm. where he would say, all right, well, I'm going to get in trouble for saying something that isn't politically correct, and that's infringing on, you know, my right to say whatever I want, which right. is not how is not what the First Amendment does. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think it is this idea of like uh, being overly policed. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, you know, I wrote about in the article, um, he talks about his red pill moment, mm-hmm. which is what conservatives call the moment when, like they, in the Matrix, yeah, they take I, the red pill and <laughs> see the world for how it really is. Yeah. It confusingly to me was the pulse shooting in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And he grew up in Florida. He had a lot of queer friends. He was like, you know, I went to gay bars with them, and this felt like an attack on a community that was close to me. And I was like, go on. How did this right. end up with you voting for Trump? And he said that he saw leading Democrats, mm-hmm. Clinton and Obama and Sanders, none of them would call out the shooting as a hate crime against gay people by a Muslim terrorist. And he was like, they were all being so politically correct and so afraid of calling it what it was 
They were pussyfooting around the words in the name of being PC, and that's not what's going to keep us safe. And only Trump came forward and called this an act of radical Islamic terrorism in a tweet that is so odious. Yeah. I mean, I encourage you to read it, but it's terrible. It's like, you know, accept the congratulations for being right. Yeah. Way to, you know, make make light of a tragedy. But that was what did it for him, was that he felt that this guy was a straight shooter and willing to call a, a spade a spade and, like, you know, use, that use language. That is so interesting, because mm. he may have used that language, but none of his actions are actually supportive of the queer people who lost their lives that day, or the people who were in there who watched, like, their partners and friends who they were actually there with die. It's, mm, that's very, mm, okay. But really quickly, can you just tell me, because we only have a couple minutes left. Unfortunately, I hate it because I want to keep talking to you about this for <laughs> so long. Can you just very quickly tell me, do you think that he will vote Stephen, that he will vote the same way mm. if he gets the opportunity? Do you think that he will think about you when he does? I do think he'll vote the same way, and I, I do hope he thinks about me. Mm. You know, I was left with the feeling that if I continue to date him, or if somebody like me continues to date him, that maybe, maybe he could be broken. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not going to be me. <laughs> right. I think unless somebody gets in there and becomes somebody that he cares about deeply, mm -hmm. and he's able to see how his vote impacts somebody on a personal level that he cares about, I think he'll probably vote the same way. Okay. And what was the name of the article? It's called A Feminist, A Trump Supporter, and the Smallest Bar in Brooklyn, and it's in Paper Magazine. Thank you so much for being here, Mackenzie. I really appreciate your time. And that's the show for today. Tomorrow we have a special show, a roundtable conversation with women rewriting rules in their own communities. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. Also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barghi, Ariana Rosas, Naeem Van, Tyrese Hester, Kritzi Roberts, Emily Bogosian, and Sarah Grachowski. It is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. It is recorded by Eric Hagasek and Antonio M. Rosario. Our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. And our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. <laughs>